One of the best known landmarks in the world, and one of the new Seven Wonders of the World, this near 2,000 year old arena has borne witness to the violent, bloody death of around 400,000 people and well over a million animals, all in the name of entertainment. It's little wonder that so many tortured souls seem unable to move on and remain to this day, leading many to consider this one of the most haunted places in Italy, possibly the entire world. Tonight, Join me as we investigate the incredible Roman Colosseum. Episode 5 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location. And of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head to Rome, Italy, and ask the question, just how haunted is the Roman Colosseum? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Work began on the Amphitheatre Flavium, to give it its correct name, in around 72 AD, in the reign of Emperor Vespasian. This grand arena was funded by a temple raid on Jerusalem two years earlier. The site upon which the amphitheatre was built had been the lake of the Domus Aurea, meaning Golden House. The Golden House had been constructed by Vespasian's predecessor, the Emperor Nero, and was a sumptuous palace complex where wild parties would take place for Rome's most notorious emperor. Whereas Nero had been entirely self-indulgent, Vespasian was disgusted by this, and he was a very empathetic leader. He built the amphitheatre for the people of Rome, as fate may have it, however, Nero would ultimately be responsible for what this impressive structure would come to be known as. 
The Colossus of Nero was a 30 metre tall bronze statue that Nero had created in the vestibule of his golden house. By the time the Amphitheatre Flavian was being constructed, Vespasian had added a radiant crown and renamed it Colossus Solus, repurposing it as being for the Roman sun god Sol rather than being for Nero, although some sources claim it was actually Apollo rather than Sol. It is for the statue Colossus and its proximity to the Amphitheatre Flavium for where the name that this structure is more commonly known comes from, the Colosseum. The statue doesn't remain to this day sadly, the last mention of it is in a document from the 4th century and the cause for its ultimate disappearance has been lost to time, although historians say it's most likely it was destroyed during an earthquake or during the sack of Rome in 410 AD. The only remains these days are some blocks which once made up the foundation of its marble pedestal. The Colosseum was a truly incredible feat of architecture. The shape of the Colosseum is usually described as circular but it's actually ovoid, a word meaning the shape of an egg. It was 187.75 metres long by 155.6 metres wide and 50.75 metres tall at its highest point. The amphitheatre is composed of a central arena, terraces and a facade distant from the terraces. The arena is 83 metres long and 48 metres wide. By comparison a modern day football pitch is 105 metres long by 68 metres wide. The name arena actually comes from the blood absorbing sand which was used to cover the arena floor which is called Harina sand. Over 100,000 cubic metres of travertine stone and tufa was used in the construction of the Colosseum. These are two different types of limestone, both created from hot springs. 300 tonnes of iron clamps were used to hold everything together, rather than the traditional mortar. This wasn't something being done in building anywhere else, and we're talking about almost 2,000 years ago. There were also a series of maze-like internal layouts, over three storeys of arched entrances, 80 entrances in total supported by semicircular columns. Sadly, the structure of the Colosseum has suffered a lot over the years, and only a third of the original structure remains, and only 31 of the 80 original entrances are still standing. A fire in 217 AD damaged the building hugely, and destroyed the entire wooden upper level. Earthquakes over the years have taken their toll on the Colosseum, the worst instance being in 1349 where an earthquake caused catastrophic damage with an entire section of the outer wall of the amphitheatre destroyed. What can now be seen as the outer wall is actually the original inner wall. Between the 14th and 18th centuries the building was in a state of decay. This was helped by reclamation of building materials being stripped away from the Colosseum to be used elsewhere in Rome. The iron clamps that held the stones together were taken away to be melted and reused, and the stone of the structure itself was scavenged to be used to build other buildings throughout the city. Some of the marble that decorated its facade was used in the construction of St Peter's Basilica. Despite the ruin and neglect the column has endured, it's still a magnificent sight. The hypogeum, meaning underground chamber, is one of the more unique features of the Colosseum and had never been seen anywhere else at the time. Underneath the floor of the Colosseum are two levels made up of tunnels and cages. Part of this structure is made up of trapdoors and elevators, 
made functional by a series of pulleys and levers. These were used for a variety of functions, but mainly to transport gladiators and animals from the underground to the Colosseum floor, an effect that was best captured in Ridley Scott's cinematic masterpiece, Gladiator. The same system of pulleys was used to control a retractable roof which went over the top of the amphitheatre. Again, this was revolutionary at the time. The Colosseum was the largest amphitheatre that the Roman Empire ever built. Historians are divided on what the capacity would have been, but it's believed to range anywhere from 50,000 to 80,000. Entrance would have been completely free, but the higher your standing in society, the better your view. Vespasian wouldn't live to see the Colosseum realised as he died in 79 AD, the year before it was opened to the people of Rome. He was succeeded by his son Titus, who decreed that there would be 100 days of games to celebrate its inauguration. This would include grand feasts, gladiatorial combats and wild animal fights, and at one point the Colosseum was flooded for a mock sea battle. Over 10,000 exotic animals were brought to Rome, and all would be killed for the entertainment of the spectators, many at the hand of beast masters, the most famous of which was Carpophorus. Gladiator fights would happen each afternoon, and these fights started out like semi-fake wrestling matches, but this simply wasn't enough for the onlookers. Before long, these were more often than not fights to the death, most often featuring unwilling combatants, as the vast majority of gladiators were either prisoners of war criminals sentenced to death or slaves. Those who did do it voluntarily did it for the glory, as those gladiators who won fight after fight would be the superstars of the day. Death wasn't always inevitable in these battles. When one of the gladiators was defeated, lying beaten on the sand of the arena, the victor holding a sword at his throat, the pair would look to the editor, who would decide the loser's fate. The editor was very much the referee of these bloody battles. This was most often a senator, emperor, or somebody else from the world of politics. He was the one to make the final decision about the fates of the gladiators in the arena. However, since the games were meant to curry public favour, the editor had to pay attention to the wishes of the audience. Much of the audience attended such brutal events for the single purpose of witnessing the bravery of a gladiator in the face of death. A good gladiator was expensive to replace, so not all battles ended in death. There were only two ways a gladiatorial battle could end. Either one gladiator won, or it was a draw. But it was the editor who would have the final say on whether the loser died there and then, before the awaiting crowd, or whether they'd live to fight another day. The editor had three established ways to make his decision. He might have established the rules in advance of the game, If the fight sponsor wanted a fight to the death, they had to be willing to compensate the trainer of the dead gladiator. He could accept the surrender of one of the gladiators. After having lost or cast aside his weapons, the losing gladiator would fall to his knees and raise his index finger. He could listen to the audience. When a gladiator went down defeated, cries of habit, hock habit, meaning he's had it, shouts of mitty, meaning let him go, or shouts of Lugula, kill him, could be heard. A game that ended in death was known as sign remission, meaning without dismissal. The editor didn't always listen to the crowd, 
Although this didn't stop the crowd chanting their decision, awaiting the editor's judgement. In the end, it was always the editor who would decide whether the gladiator would die. Traditionally, the editor would communicate his decision by turning his thumb up or down, although it's long been debated exactly what these signals meant, and it's entirely probable that we've got it the wrong way around, and that thumb up actually meant kill the loser, and thumb down was meant to indicate to throw down your sword and spare their life. Honour was crucial to the gladiatorial games, and the audience has expected the loser to be valiant even in death. So gladiators were trained how to die, bravely, showing no fear. The honourable way to die was for the losing gladiator to grasp the thigh of the victor who would then hold the loser's head or helmet and plunge a sword deep into his neck. Gladiator matches, like much else in Roman life, were connected to Roman religion. To make sure the loser wasn't pretending to be dead, an attendant dressed as Mercury, the Roman god who led the newly dead to their afterlife, would touch the apparently dead gladiator with a hot iron wand. Another attendant, dressed as Sharon, another Roman god associated with the underworld, would hit him on the head with a mallet. These gladiators, willing or not, were fighting for their lives, so they had to be highly trained, as this also made for a better spectacle for the audience. Upon recruitment, they would be assessed and given a medical check, then they would begin training. This training would often be given by a retired gladiator who, given that they'd survived every battle they'd been part of, were obviously very skilled. Training would begin with wooden swords to make things safer. It would focus on different fighting styles, different weapons and different techniques. Training would be customised depending on the type of gladiator. Whether they were heavily or lightly armed would change things completely. The gladiator would have to know their way around many weapons. These included swords as well as tridents, lances, nets and bows and arrows. There were over two dozen different types of gladiators. They were distinguished from each other by the weapons that they used, the armour that they wore, the fighting styles they employed and the events at which they fought. As time went on, things got much darker at the Colosseum and it began being used for public executions. And the fights themselves became so gruesome that suicide was commonplace before going into the ring, choosing to take their own life than to be killed in front of a jeering crowd. On one instance, a German man choked himself to death with a sponge. And on another, 29 Saxons strangled one another to death in fear of entering the ring to be torn apart by wild animals. After barely two years as the Emperor, Titus died of a fever on the 13th of September 81 AD. Construction would be finalised completely under Titus's younger brother and successor Domitian in 83 AD, adding wooden terraces for the women on the upper storeys and a barracks for the training gladiators. In 107 AD, in the reign of Emperor Trajan, he called for a grand celebration at the Colosseum with 123 days of games. 10,000 gladiators fought to the death, including for the first time female gladiators. The public execution of criminals continued within the Colosseum, and one of those put to death was no ordinary prisoner. Bishop Ignatius of Antioch was part of a growing underground religion threatening Roman traditions, Christianity. 11,000 animals were also slaughtered during this period of bloodshed and gore. This included rhinoceroses, hippopotamuses, giraffes, Barbary lions, Caspian tigers, crocodiles, ostriches and elephants. 
Trajan put a lot of time and effort into the theatrics of this display, hiring technicians, architects and painters to create a natural backdrop for the animals as they were introduced into the ring. This would be comprised of natural scenes depicted in forests for dramatic effect. Humans and animals were killed in the name of entertainment for centuries to follow. The last gladiatorial battle ever happened in the Colosseum in 438 AD, as the games were abolished by the Emperor Valentinian III. The decline of the games came after the adoption of Christianity as a state church of the Roman Empire, although animal hunts did continue for around another hundred years. By the end of the 6th century, the Colosseum's use as an amphitheatre to entertain the citizens of Rome was over, and the building, for the first time in around 500 years, was left empty and silent. Shortly afterwards, the Colosseum was repurposed to be used as a burial site, and a chapel was added. The vaulted spaces under the seats were used as workshops and homes. In the early 12th century, the Frangipani family powerful Roman patriarch clan of the time took over the building and converted it into a fortified castle. During the centuries that followed, the stone that formed the Colosseum was slowly stripped away to be used in the construction of other buildings within Rome, such as hospitals and churches. By the late 13th century, the Colosseum had become church property, and in the 16th century, Pope Sixtus V attempted to turn the Colosseum into a wool factory to provide employment for emancipated prostitutes. Workshops would operate on the arena floor with living quarters in the upper stories. But due to lack of funds, this project was abandoned after the Pope's death in 1590. Roughly a century after this took place, Cardinal Altieri attempted to use the Colosseum as a bullfighting ring. However, this didn't go ahead due to outrage from the city's nobles and citizens. In reprehension of the Colosseum's history of bloodshed, and to honour the ordinary citizens, innocent animals and professional gladiators who died there, the structure is now used as a symbol of life. This turn of events was instigated in 1749, when Pope Benedict XIV consecrated the building and declared that it must be protected, on the belief that the blood of Christian martyrs spilled in the arena made it a holy place. However, there was little historical evidence to support this claim. Going into the 17th century, nature had taken over the structure and it is recorded to have been home to more than 300 different species of plant life. Thankfully, the 17th and 18th centuries saw a much greater interest in preserving relics of our past and this led to a ban on the removal of stone for building materials. The first systematic excavations began in the 19th century and the structures below the arena were rediscovered for the first time in many, many years. Ever since then, there's been a constant programme of restoration, preservation and ongoing archaeological studies. In more recent years, a multi-million pound project has been undertaken, with the first phase started in 2013 and completed in 2016, costing around £15 million. This saw the cleaning of the northern and southern facades, which had been discoloured by years of traffic pollution, replacing damaged mortar in the 31 archways, and replacing the arch enclosure system with brand new gates. An additional 18 million was spent in 2018, replacing the arena's long vanished floor with one that could support modern day entertainment, 
although monument rock and rock concerts were ruled out. In 2021, at a cost of a further 15 million, restoration of the Hypogeum was completed and opened for the visitors to experience for the first time ever. Visitors could use a newly constructed wooden walkway to admire the tunnels and chambers under the arena that were used by the animals and people that were about to be thrust into the limelight to be almost certainly killed before the enormous baying crowd. The team of more than 80 experts, including archaeologists, engineers and restorers, worked on the Colosseum's Hypogeum for two years. Future improvements will involve the restoration of galleries, the creation of a completely new visitor centre and a new lighting system. Another project approved for the Colosseum involves installation of a high-tech retractable stage expected to be operational by 2023 and which is likely to bring back cultural events and performances. The Colosseum has become a symbol of the international campaign against capital punishment. As a gesture on their position against the death penalty, authorities changed the colour of the Colosseum's illumination from white to gold whenever a condemned person gets their sentence commuted or is released, or if a jurisdiction abolishes the death penalty entirely. Today, the Colosseum is the most visited landmark in Italy, with over 4 million visitors every year from all over the world. The Colosseum stands as a powerful reminder of the ancient world, its glory and its gory history. For almost 500 years, the Colosseum was a site of execution, animal hunts and gladiator fights to the death, with bloodshed, pain and suffering on an unfathomable scale. Over that period it's estimated that around 400,000 people and well over a million animals were killed within the arena, all in the name of entertainment. It's little surprise that the Colosseum is widely regarded as the most haunted building in Rome and arguably all of Italy. It's hard to imagine all those animals, locked in cages, in the dark below the arena, unaware of what was to happen to them next, just for them to be killed before a jeering audience, either ripped apart by a bigger, more vicious animal, or being hunted and slaughtered by one of the highly trained Beastmasters. What about the gladiators? We've all seen Russell Crowe in that brilliant movie Gladiator from the year 2000. The vast majority of these gladiators wanted absolutely no part in these fights to the death, and it's impossible to imagine how they felt, as their turn neared, the sound of the cheering crowd growing ever closer, then it was their turn to walk up the ramp and out into the sunlight, taking centre stage in the arena before a crowd of up to 80,000, who all wanted nothing more than to see you be murdered. The more brutal and gory the death, the better. I visited the Colosseum on holiday in 2019 and it truly is an incredible place. You can see my photos on the Instagram at HowHauntedPod. Words can't sum it up, it's one of those places that you have to see for yourself, and even then you have to fully understand just what happened here almost 2,000 years ago to experience it in its entirety. As I looked around this true wonder of architecture 
I thought about all of those people and those animals murdered here in the name of entertainment and a chill ran through me. This is one of those locations that people say must be haunted, being stained by the blood of the countless innocent humans and animals in the very worst possible circumstances. And unsurprisingly, the Colosseum is believed to be very haunted. There have been far too many reports of paranormal occurrences at the Colosseum for there not to be something otherworldly going on here. Colosseum staff, tour guides and visitors have witnessed actual full-bodied apparitions with one of the most common being seen being a Roman soldier stood outside, as if still guarding the Colosseum as he may have done in life. A curious detail about this particular spectre is that he's regularly reported as appearing in black and white, almost like seeing black and white footage, other than his shirt which is bright red. Other phantoms reported have been the ghosts of those seen sitting in the crowd. Sometimes entire sections of the crowd seem to be present, accompanied by cheering and screaming. Other times it's just one lone spirit sitting in the seat that they may have sat in in life and they always appear to just dissolve away to nothing. An American tourist in 2017 was stood taking photos from high up in the Colosseum when she suddenly felt icy cold and was unable to move for a brief moment before it seemed to pass. Her partner was stood staring at her white as a sheet when she asked him what was wrong, he said that he'd seen what looked to be a shadow follow her to where she was stood, and then appear to stand in the very same spot, just before fading away. It was at this point that he'd noticed that she seemed to come to and be able to move once again. Actual recreations of gladiator fights have been seen and heard, appearing so real that visitors think they're actors, but when they approach, the spectral warriors fade away. People have claimed to have been touched, also people have said that they feel like they've been pushed or shoved. There are stories of people feeling freezing cold, even on the hottest days, and light anomalies and orbs have been seen all over the Colosseum. Though many have claimed to see ghosts within the Colosseum, far more people have allegedly heard them. There have been a lot of reports of people claiming to hear noises of pain echoing through the empty stone walls of the Colosseum. These have been described as moans and screams and are believed to be from past prisoners or gladiators meeting their fate. The sound of gladiators battling, the clashing of swords, and the cries of pain and death are heard on a regular basis. Disembodied footsteps are regularly heard, especially in the newly opened Hypergeum. Underground in these dark areas, cries and wails are commonplace. Night guards have claimed to hear weeping in the Hypergeum after dark. Animal sounds are regularly reported, with the roaring of lions and tigers, the trumpeting of elephants, the chatter of monkeys and the whinny of horses. Those who've walked up the ramps towards the arena from below ground have inexplicably become overcome with adrenaline, experiencing a real fight or flight feeling, despite knowing that there's no actual threat to them. Before they can begin to comprehend what it is they're feeling, they can feel several strong hands on their back pushing them forward towards the arena, disembodied whispers in their ears, the whisper of encouragement. Upon reaching the arena, some have claimed to have suddenly heard the sound of a full crowd of onlookers cheering and clapping. When they look around, a phantom crowd appears. Then their opponent appears, a spectral gladiator, complete with armour and weapons, ready to kill. At this point they really feel fear, 
and worry about their own mortality, almost as if tapping into the sensations that a former gladiator may have felt in this very spot when experiencing this for real. Then it all disappears and they're left alone. Thank you so much for joining me once again. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to the Colosseum. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like, and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A podcast. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you can join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. If you want to find a Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to support the podcast, why not buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. I have a copy of my book, Ghosts of Edinburgh, up for grabs. If you'd like to enter, all you need to do is leave How Haunted a podcast review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. Then drop me an email at rob at how-haunted.com to let me know. The competition will end on Halloween 2022 and the winner will be announced over on Twitter and on the first podcast episode after the closing date. Next time we will return to the UK and in particular to an 800 year old former inn in Gloucestershire which is regularly placed at the top of lists of the most haunted places in the world. A place so dark and dangerous that the once Bishop of Gloucester the Reverend John Yates is said to have tried and failed to exercise the building and was quoted in the Western Daily Press as saying it was the evilest place I have ever had the misfortune to visit. A building constructed atop a 5,000 year old pagan burial ground and the skeletal remains of a woman and child were found beneath the floor of the inn along with an iron dagger leading to suspicions that these unfortunate souls may have been killed as human sacrifices. The building is home to all manner of things that go bump in the night, but does it live up to its infamous reputation? Let's find out together next week when we enter the Ancient Ram Inn. Thank you so much for accompanying me on our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe and join me next time when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? How Haunted?